Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's Legends Territory, Braun and Kratz, and thank you to the Players Alumni Association for putting this together. For more info on your favorite former players, go to BaseballAlumni.com, and let's get to our guest out of Sykeston, North Dakota, which I need to hear more about, by the way. An RBI machine in the early 2000s, top five MVP finisher in 2005, career best 42 homers in 2006, and led the American League in slugging and OPS that year. A-plus nickname, too, Kratz. One of my favorites for a long time. Agree? Agree. Pronk? I mean, you can't get – I mean, we got to hear the story about that, even though he may not want to be called that as an Uber driver now for his kids. But, <laughs> hey, we'll see what happens. Also, not a real Uber driver. It's a private Uber driver. Okay. Private. Travis Hafner joining us right now on Legends Territory. Pronk, if we can still call you that. I'm sure you eventually learned to love the nickname. How you doing, Travis? I'm great. How are you guys? Really good. Really good. I mean, let's dive into that for the younger crowd that doesn't know the origin and doesn't know about the nickname. I know that was a big deal um, for me for a long time uh, with nicknames in Major League Baseball. So I think you had one of the best in the early 2000s. Do you agree? I loved it. Like I, I preferred it to uh, Travis. I really liked the ring of pronk. I had it on all my gloves. Not that I really ever wore a glove, but... Um, I put it on my bats, and I really liked it. So uh, I got called up in 2002, and I was playing with um, the Rangers at the time. And we were in Cleveland, and some guys like Bill St- uh, Bill Selby, Lee Stevens, they were kind of watching me play, and they're like, what do you think of this Hafner kid? They're like, he's a little bit raw. He's kind of a project. And then um, that following offseason, I got traded to Cleveland. So Bill Selby was still there. He was calling me project. And a lot of the guys are just calling me like, what's up, big donkey? You know, just being a big guy. So uh, I had a couple of people calling me uh, Project, a couple of people calling me Donkey. So we put them together. We had Pronky. Uh, our first road trip was to Toronto. So I was late Pronk uh, for, for that trip. And then it just shortened up to Pronk. And like, I absolutely loved it. That's awesome that you, that you embraced that name. But let, you said your call up, your first call up. Take us through exactly how that went, because a lot of people don't really know how call-ups go. You got stuck in a hotel for three days before you even got an opportunity to step on a big league field? Yeah, so um, I think at the time, Rafael Palmero and somebody else was, uh, they were banged up, but they're going to go like during BP and, and test it out and see how they felt. So I got called up to Chicago and I kind of got the instructions of like, hey, these two guys, either one of them could go on the DL. So, you know, just be ready to go. Um, so it's like five o'clock. The game starts at seven. I'm like full panic. Never been called up to the big leagues in my hotel doing like, you know, high knees, stretching out, karaoke, like all of this stuff. And then they, they called and they said, hey, they showed some improvement. Give it another day. And then you're like, your heart's just racing. And next day, same thing. And then I got a call of like, hey. Um, 
they're both good to go. So you're actually going to go join the AAA team in Calgary, which at the time was about 20 degrees. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Wait, so why couldn't you be at the ballpark? I don't know. Like, I think, you know, several years ago, like if you weren't on the active roster, you couldn't be at the ballpark. Yeah, no, and you're exactly right. And this is something that they tried to change, but teams have figured out a way to manipulate it. It's something that people don't even know about. And let, let alone the fact, like, somebody that had a fringe Hall of Fame career like yours, like, to go through this, this is what teams do. They, send, they used yeah. to send guys, and they would sit them there. So you spent three days there, and then you flew to Calgary? Yep. Where it was 20 degrees, and you played in <laughs> how many games? Uh, we played in three there and then went to Edmonton, and I think one of our games got snowed out. Uh, and then the next day we had to play to get the game in. It was like one of the coldest games I've ever played in. And then how soon after that did you get called up? And so I want to say it was a couple months later. Um, I was doing really well in AAA. And I remember we had a we played out in Fresno. So we were in Oklahoma City. We played in Fresno. So it's always a 4 a.m. bus to the Oklahoma City airport. We'd always fly to Dallas. And then from there we flew to... I think LA, and then it was like an hour bus ride. So, we, so we, our day started at like 4 a.m. We got in at like 6 p.m. to the ballpark, like an hour before the game. I just remember playing that game in like the fourth or fifth inning, just being like, man, I can't wait till this game is over so I can go to the hotel and sleep. And then in like the ninth inning, Bobby Jones calls me over. He's like, hey, you got, uh, got called up to the big leagues, uh, 6 a.m. flight tomorrow. And I'm just like, you know. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll deal with it just because I'm so excited to go to the big leagues. But that was like two flights and then left early in the morning and got into Detroit, kind of same thing, like during the game. Um, so I think I probably got there around like 7.30 and then ended up pinch hitting in the ninth inning. Yeah, so you were exhausted, but you can't be tired when you get called up to the big leagues. I get no, that. No, you got so much adrenaline, you're just riding the highs. I get that. What was it like sitting in the minor leagues, putting up 20 homers, 20 homers, 20 homers, back-to-back-to-back years, but being behind a guy like Palmero? Being, you know, what, what is that thought process where you're sitting there like, I have a shot, I think? Yeah, I mean, uh, Texas was loaded with first baseman. Um, even when I was in low A, we drafted Carlos Pena in the first round, and he came in and, you know, he did great things, and uh, then after that, we drafted Teixeira. Uh, we had a guy, Sean Gallagher, who was our minor league player of the year, who was like two levels ahead of us, and then you have Palmero. So, you know, we were just absolutely stacked at first base. So, you know, they did a pretty good job of like, hey, you're not just playing for, you know, the Rangers organization. You're, you're playing for all the other teams as well. So go out there, you know, play your best, put up numbers, and, you know, somebody's going to notice, and, you know, you can be a valuable trade ship. And, um, ultimately got called up with the Rangers, played a couple months, and then uh, got traded to Cleveland that, that offseason. They always tell us that in the minor leagues. They always <laughs> were saying that. Did you believe it? Because we, we kind of crossed a little bit. We never played against each other in the minor leagues. But that same time, I started in 02, and you got called to the big leagues in 02. Did you believe it? Did you believe when they said you're playing for the 29 other teams? Yeah, so I, I would say yes and no. Um, it was frustrating when you would see guys that you were playing – against like moving up or getting called up and you know I just didn't really have that opportunity since we were so loaded at first base but you know I, I did know that if I didn't 
produce or, you know, play well that I wouldn't be around too long. So um, I had to go out and produce and put up numbers. And, you know, thankfully it worked out where I got a shot with Cleveland. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, you were a 31st round pick. I love having anybody on this show that was picked after me because I was a 29th round pick. So... I, you know, you can look at me as the $1,000 bonus baby, but as a 31st round pick, did you feel like that was holding you back too? Well, um, I went to a junior college, Cali County in Kansas. So, uh, we were able to do a draft and follow, um, 90, 96, I got drafted and I thought I was going to go, you know, kind of higher than I did. I was expecting more of like the 10 to 15 range, but uh, I went in the, like the 31st round and they wanted me to go back to school, which, which was great. Like I needed another year of development, you know, coming from North Dakota, like I was super raw. Um, so I went back and then I signed probably the day before the draft. Actually, we ended up playing in the junior college world series. We were in the, in the last game, the finals and the scout for Texas, like rode our bus back home. And every time that <laughs> every time there was a break, you know, we would do like these little mini negotiations and I'd call my parents and be like, hey, this is what they offer. Can I sign for this? So it was uh, it was pretty unique. And then I ended up signing like, you know, during the bus trip. That's crazy. So if you had like a big game, would you go, uh, all right, I, I need a little more now? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Hit a home run in the finals and be like, hey, the price is going up. Yeah. Did you hit a home run in the finals? Yeah. Yeah, we won four to two. So up the price, up the price. Yeah, yeah, it did work. I got more than after my freshman year, so it somewhat worked. It, yeah. can, can you explain draft and follow too? So that doesn't exist anymore. So for people that don't know what it was, um, how did that work? And do you think it was helpful or do you not miss having that around in Major League Baseball anymore? Yeah, like I was, I was a pretty big fan of the draft and follow. It's where a team can draft you and kind of have no intentions of signing you. And I believe this was only for a junior college. So after your freshman year of junior college, a team would draft you and say like, hey, I like the potential. We'd love for you to go back to school and, uh, you know, continue to develop. And then, you know, if, if we see some good things, I will have the opportunity to sign you before the draft or else you can re-enter the draft. So, you know, I thought it was good. Like I was kind of loyal to Texas because they drafted me and took a chance on me. And like, you know, I kind of wanted to sign with them ultimately. So the, you went back, you say, you keep saying that, you know, develop more. Do you feel like you would have developed more in the minor leagues or when you went to junior college, it gave you an opportunity to maybe fail and continue to grow into some things? Yeah. Like, like I would say me personally, like I was so raw coming out of North Dakota um, that the jump to junior college was huge. I, you know, I think the fastest pitcher I ever saw in North Dakota was probably like 83 miles an hour. Um, you know, actually after high school, I went to an Atlanta Braves camp and they offered me, you know, a thousand bucks or something to sign. And that'd be a huge jump. Like, you know, going from facing, 
you know, typically like something in the 70s to all of a sudden facing guys throwing 90 with a wood bat. Um, but definitely that that extra year of um, junior college helped me a ton. Uh, we had great coaches there and, you know, Dave and Darren Burroughs and Scott Hennessy, and they all played pro ball. And uh, they really taught me a ton of like what my hitting approach ultimately became. So, you know, I was able to really develop and, you know, in junior colleges, like practices can, can be pretty tough. Like you can play multiple games and then you're driving home and you just pull right into the weight room or pull into the field and you're scrimmaging. So um, that helped that helped a lot, I think, with like my work ethic and mental toughness. And, you know, so that that second year of junior college where you're you're a little bit of a leader on the team as well, like was was really beneficial. All right. So before we get to some big league talk, give me the lowdown on life growing up in super small town, North Dakota where you were valedictorian in a class of? Eight. Eight. Wow. So So I would say that I was in the top (laughs) ten of my class. (laughs) You were definitely in the top ten, and your friends were decided for you. I mean, eight people in that class. Like, what if if you didn't like a few of them? (laughs) You ain't ain't getting away from them. You know, (laughs) you're in every class with them. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up on a farm, which, you know, did a lot of farm work growing up and um, that was really tough work. And, you know, you don't really know anything different. Um, you know, so I really didn't like farming. So I remember when I got to college, that was something that my coaches would use to motivate me. Like, Hey, if you don't pick it up, you're going to end up back on the farm. And, you know, then it just, your work ethic goes to another level. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, very rural community. You're driving two hours to a mall or a Walmart. So, you know, we were, we were really in the, in the country. Wow. We've been told to ask what hot dish is. Can you explain? Ooh, my kids absolutely love this. It's basically a hamburger helper, but it's like uh, noodles. You throw tomato sauce on it and then you put a hamburger on it and you mix it all up and it's phenomenal. It's like a North Dakota delicacy. And, uh, like my kids sometimes are really picky, but on hot dish night, they just destroy like two or three plates each. So that's what we do to try to get them to grow some. <laughs> well, I never even heard of that. Had you, Kratzy? Never, never heard of that. Jeez. So we, we also have these, we also have these things called caramel rolls. I don't know if you guys have heard of those, but it's basically like, it's basically like a cinnamon roll, but instead of, or instead of like the frosting on the top, it's just all just doused in caramel and you put like a stick of butter on top of it and you melt it and might be one of the best things you guys have ever had so if you ever get to north dakota minnesota you can find some breakfast cafes there that have them and it's worth a try i mean it's a good way to start off your day with 3500 calories yeah exactly right good good, good little <laughs> breakfast pregame before you hit the farm it, it makes sense you got to load up on yeah. the carbs who did you root for? Were you a big sports fan growing up? Because obviously there's no pro teams out there. Yeah, so we had uh, we had like the old school satellite dish. So um, I watched the the Braves and the Orioles. And then as I got to like college, I was actually like a Cleveland Indians fan, but mostly like an Orioles fan growing up. Loved Cal Ripken. Uh, he was my favorite player. And, you know, certainly Eddie Murray, like he was one of my favorite hitters to watch too. So uh, my first year with Cleveland, Eddie Murray was our hitting coach and that was fantastic to have somebody that you kind of watched and idolized growing up as, as your hitting coach. So that was really great. Who introduced you to baseball or was baseball not your first sport? I would say that it was like baseball cards. Like I, for whatever reason, I was a baseball card junkie. Like 
in our town, we had this, uh, it was like a drugstore that sold baseball cards. And I just went and like any money that I made, I bought baseball cards and like I knew everybody's stats and, and all that stuff. So um, I'd watch games and, you know, in North Dakota, you drive a tractor when you're like eight, nine, 10 years old. So we actually had uh, our radio, you would hit the button, like the seek button, and it would go around the whole thing. And just like, we only had one channel. And certain days they would broadcast the Twins games. So that was like the best way to pass time was listening to Twins games out in the tractor. Wow. Hey, some people, Kratz, make money off cards. Like you really made money off cards because it turned into your career. So yep. that worked out. <laughs> um, all right. So let's fast forward. So my first question on the major league side is Kratz and me were looking over your stats. For example, the year I mentioned, 2006. You lead the American League in slugging and OPS. You had a career-high 42 home runs. And you had a major league record five grand slams before the All-Star break that year. Yet you weren't an All-Star. This is your time to say, what the (laughs) hell happened? (laughs) Who was blocking you as one of the best hitters in the league? And we didn't have all MLB team back then, which I do like because it looks at the whole season. But I'm like, you didn't even need that. You were crushing the first half. So what the hell? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a, a really good first half. And that was probably like the best stretch of my career. I think um, this was at the time when the fans would vote for the starter. And I can't remember exactly who the starter was, but first base was pretty loaded. First base and DH. And then uh, the, the subs were... Um, or the reserves were voted on by like the the team that was in the All Star, like that manager. So um, the White Sox had Canerco and Tomi, you know. So it's really tough to argue with those guys. I mean, they had wonderful years the year before, won the World Series, and then came out and had great years in '06. So you know, I was happy that I was playing really well. I was kind of bummed that I didn't make it. Like I really wanted to just say that I made it to that game, and you know, I'd, I would have loved to have been in the home run derby, but. You know, it didn't happen, and, you know, there just there's a lot of great players that year. Some of the years, like, through that time when you were just absolutely destroying the baseball, Ortiz was winning some of those awards. He was winning the Silver Slugger. He was getting some of the, you know, the All-Star appearances. Does it, does it hurt a little bit now, looking back, that there was some, like, steroid allegations during that time with Big Poppy and – how does that, or was it just one of those things that, hey, you know, it didn't quite work out? Yeah, probably more the latter of just, you know, it didn't quite work out. You know, him and Manny were such a force in the middle of that offense, and um, they were putting up massive numbers, and they were winning, and, you know, just sometimes you're just, you know, in an era where there are guys that are just really putting up monster numbers. So I tried to do what I could do, and, you know, it just didn't work out on making the all-star team, but I was able to, to go out and be productive. I blame Pierzynski, you know, <laughs> him and the Sox winning in 05. I mean, the White Sox yeah, are over 06. Yep. If they lose in the playoffs, somebody else is picking the team. So, it, you know, it is his fault. Yep. Exactly. That's fair. Thank I you. like that. Sosha would have picked you because I think they beat, yeah, they beat Sosha. So, yeah, Sosha would have picked you. Yeah. What were those years like for you? I mean, you mentioned, like, Small town, North Dakota. Don't want to be working on the farm. Went through some crap in the minors. You're just behind a lot of people that are really talented. And then you end up 
being a 40 plus homer guy on a Cleveland team that you said you were more of a fan of in college? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I loved watching those guys like Tommy and uh, Manny and Bell and Fryman, like Kenny Lofton. They had like so many good players by Erga. Like they were just, you know, one through nine, they were pretty stacked. Um, but yeah, like to just, you know, I think when you first get to the big leagues, you just want to establish yourself and become a regular. And, you know, it took a while. Like I, you know, I made it up. I got sent down with Texas and then with Cleveland, I made it up, kind of got banged up a little bit, got sent down and then came up and that second half. And then the next year I was able to kind of establish myself as a regular. And it's, it's really cool. Like it, like at that point it becomes all about winning, but um, you know, to your point, like it's, you know, sometimes you would, sit back and say like, Hey, this was pretty cool. Like from the farm in North Dakota. And now I'm, you know, being able to play every day in the big leagues and actually come out here and perform pretty well. And you're facing the best, the best competition in the world. So that was, that was really cool. And I was happy to get to that point. What was your welcome to the big leagues moment? Was there a time when you faced someone or something happened where you're like, Oh shit, this is it. Well, kind of like a couple things, like, you know, I, I think the, the first actual start I got was, or the second start I got was against Jose Lima, and he had like a five-and-a-half ERA or something like that, where you, he's one of those guys that you kind of watch on TV and you're kind of like, oh, if I was up there, like, I could probably hit that pretty easily. And I remember, like, <laughs> Lima just had a filthy changeup, and I was just like, holy cow, like, all these guys are really good. Like, they were painting great off-speed stuff. They would locate their off-speed stuff, and I was like, yeah, this ain't going to be be as easy as I thought. So um, just just like everybody being like so good and you have to bring it every night or, you know, you're going to go for four with a hat trick. So Lima time was your big league moment. What when you when you had your your best season, a thousand plus OPS, maybe you didn't even look at OPS at that point. Like, were you sitting there like, yeah, like I knew I could do this. Like I knew back in you know, junior college that I would be this type of player? Or was there sometimes when you were like, hey, I got to surprise myself? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a – I remember after my first full season in low A, I had a talk with our farm director. He was kind of like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen after this season. You kind of struggled. Um, I'm not sure if you're going to make it out of spring training. You know, so just to kind of have that, you know, flash before you of like, wow, one one year into this and – you know, it, it might not end. So, um, you know, just I was always, you know, I was probably worked hard at, at my craft. And that just kind of like sent me to another level of like, man, like if if this doesn't happen, like I, I have no idea what, you know, what I'm going to do. So I just I try to like just outwork everybody. That was kind of like my goal. And, you know, thankfully was able to go out and produce and, and move up the ladder. So you spent a lot of time at DH. Obviously, there was some first base mixed in there. But in today's game, I've been around quite a few ball players that have said, you know what, if I'm just DH, it's hard for me to focus and I don't know what to do and developing the routine is difficult. What would be your advice to them both on how you overcame that and also for some players that might not be like, let's say it's an outfielder. And he's and he's a big dude, like say Eloy Jimenez, right? He's not the best fielder. I mean, it's no secret. You watch him out there; he's gotten hurt. Like to just appreciate that you're in the game and actually could preserve your body better 
if you're playing that position because you're a huge dude in the outfield and might not be the spot for you. Right. Um, so, yeah, like I would say at least 50% of people, like you throw them a DH and they're like, I hate it because I'm not in the game. And next thing you know, like, like I'm just up at home plate and not ready to go. Um, so I would do, you know, like when we were out on defense, like I was never, I was never really out watching. Um, I was always like doing cardio or stretching or hitting in the cage, kind of, kind of watching the game on a TV just to, you know, see the umpire zone, different things like that. And obviously like when there's two outs, like to be ready to go, but um, I, I did it like a ton of cardio and, and hitting just, just to kind of like keep me in the game. And, you know, during the game, you'd probably take like 200 swings. So that's kind of what I did to, you know, to keep me in the game. And you're actually almost doing more than if you're out there playing. You feel like you feel like you shouldn't have been taking so many swings. You ever look back at it and say, eh, maybe I didn't need to. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point. Like I ended up having like shoulder issues and wrist issues and elbow issues. And, you know, like kind of like everything I did, like it was – you know, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to not make it because I didn't work hard enough. So, you know, just lifting, like I'd spend a lot of time in the weight room. Uh, I was pretty extreme in everything, love to hit, do all that stuff. So um, was that the best thing for your body? And, you know, maybe adding to your longevity a little bit, probably not. But, you know, I felt like that's what I needed to get ready, both physically and mentally. And that just kind of, you know, like if I put in all that time, you're down 0-2 in the count, and you're like, "Listen, I put in, I put in a lot of work for this. I'm not going to give up to this pitcher right now." So, um, if anything, I thought all the work kind of helped me mentally as much as anything. I love that. I talk about that all the time with the high school kids that I coach. Like, the only regret you have is the work you don't put in, and you you live you live that out. Let's yep. go to some of your let's go to some of your teammates, guys you came up with. Any good stories from? You know, a CC Sabathia, Cliff Lee was one of my favorite teammates. He kind of was up and down in the minor leagues, yep. struggled in the big leagues. Any good, any good Cliff Lee or CC stories? I remember with, uh, I mean, both great guys, both great teammates. Uh, I have a hard time just pulling up stories on demand, but there was this one with uh, Cliff Lee. I remember he went out, he threw an absolute gem, and. Uh, during the game, like ESPN kind of interviewed him like in our dugout or just below the dugout in our tunnel. And they asked him this question and it was like so many numbers that nobody could follow it. But, you know, something like, you know, what's more important, your home record of 10 and one with this ERA and, you know, or, or is it just your overall, you know, ERA whip? And it was a ridiculous amount of numbers, but Cliff just stood there like a deer in headlights. And he's like, uh, could you, could you repeat those numbers? And, uh, <laughs> We had that on video and we would watch it all the time and you know it, it, it was great but cliff was cliff was great like he um he could be throwing a no hitter like in the seventh inning and being like why, why isn't anybody talking to me you know just i don't care about the no hitter just i just want people to talk to me uh, <laughs> so cliff was like so laid back and you know you wouldn't even realize he was the starting pitcher like you know all of a sudden he would just run out like there were times where you go hit in the cage before the game, go out and run, and then you come sit in the dugout and Cliff was sitting next to you and all of a sudden he runs out and you're like, oh, I guess Cliff's pitching today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's let's be honest. Cliff, Cliff was a little annoying. Come on. I, <laughs> I texted him before this to see if he had any good stories about you. 
He's like, oh, I have all the stories. No, he didn't even <laughs> respond. He was, he was on his start days. I would almost rather him be a little bit more quiet on his start days. Is he yeah. that much of a talker? He, he just was like, he was like the kid that was like, he was always so locked into like your conversation. He'd be like, he'd pop up around the corner and be like, hey, I heard what you said. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, lock into your game. He's like, ah, it's okay. By, yeah. by the time I played with him in 11, 12, and 13, he was like, he was well established. So, you know, I can't imagine how he was when he was a younger pitcher. Yeah. And he had, he had that Invisa heater. He'd just throw, he could just throw a heater down the middle and people were swinging and missing. You're like, he's, he's got the gift. Jeez, Definitely. That's crazy. Um, craziest teammate. Is there somebody that you played with who was just kind of a, a wild child? Um, so I would say like Trot Nixon was a guy, you know, he was with the Red Sox for a long time and he kind of came over in 07 um, and we won the division. That was the only time we made the playoffs and Trot had this ability to like make everything fun. You know, like normally if you're, if you did two or three times a year, you're going to lose a game 15 to nothing and you could sit and grind that loss and just be like, this is miserable. And you know, it just eats at you and like, Trot Nixon's going to do something to make everybody laugh and just say, like, screw it. It's one game. Who cares? Um, so just kind of like his perspective on just being able to have fun and enjoy the game and not make it bigger than it is. Like, Trot was great. He'd say anything at any time. So you played right – I mean, when you got to the big leagues, you were pre-social media era. And by the time you finished in 2013, it was really kind of just around when some of the more active social media, like the – the daily like Twitter grind, stuff like that was getting going. How different was it? Cause it's not like you played that long ago. You're in your mid forties, but how different was it even during that time period? Right? Like uh, to give, you know, your non-player example here. I'm like, when I was in college, we didn't have any of that crap. So things changed once you have that. Cause then suddenly everybody's got a freaking camera. The paparazzi turned into billions of people. So how much do you think that's changed where, I mean, many players around the game nowadays, they're not going out as much. It's become more of like a video game, chill in the room, post game, where obviously you know, like you had teammates you played with, and you're like, all right, don't stay out too late, dude. Like like 3 a.m., not 6 a.m., okay? Yep. I want to say back in, the, back in our day, it was uh, drunkathletes.com, I think, where <laughs> we're like, oh, you know, yeah. oh, somebody man. got, you know, plastered at the bar, they might end up on the website. So, you know. Um, but yeah, like today it's, today it's crazy. Like with social media, like, you know, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it to like, you know, like if somebody sees you out, they're probably going to take pictures and post it on social media. And like, you're depending on what you're doing, you'll have to answer to the organization potentially for that. And, you know, are you doing everything you can to prepare to win the next day's game and to be as good as you can be? So, um, it is a challenge, but it's just kind of one of those sacrifices that, you'd be willing to make to, to play the game at the highest level. Did you ever come across any of that in your playing days where they would have meetings with the players and be like, Hey guys, you know, don't do this or be careful when you're out, not just be careful, but like, we don't want you out that much. Or, you know, if you're with certain players that were just hitting the streets every night. Yeah. I mean, every spring training MLB security would come in and they'd kind of give you like, Hey, this is the newest, uh, way that you can get in trouble, whether it's like, you know, gambling or identity theft or, you know, going out or getting involved with the wrong people. So we're always kind of 
well aware of like what could happen. And, you know, so it, it was good to have that heads up just, you know, like, Hey, this, this like legitimately can happen to you. And, you know, you'd see examples of it and, you know, it's a pretty good deterrent. Also Kratz, he was in Cleveland. So, I mean, I don't, I don't want to shit on Cleveland too much, but it, it's not like the most, it's not New York city. It's not Miami. I think that's just probably the best way to describe it, Eric. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I think I think if you're there, I think there's probably some sneaky places. Was there any was there any nightlife in Cleveland, or was it just games, home, and hot dish? <laughs> <laughs> well, games and hot dish were the, were the staples, but um, I was more like I, I really liked the good restaurants, and there's like some great restaurants in Cleveland that we would go out to. So. Um, you know, usually when you're at home, you got your family, so you're, you're going home right away or going out to eat if it's like a day game. So, um, it was a great city. Like, you know, I loved it there. Yeah. I love Cleveland. I, I think it's gotten a bad rep. At least it's not Detroit, right? Isn't that what they say? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what they say? <laughs> we used to stay in the casino in Detroit. So, you know, there are some good stories that come out of there. Like some guys had some pretty rough nights. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, back to Cleveland. Take us to the bug game. What you were obviously you were you were deep under the throngs of the of the stadium, but like what what is what is your like sticking lasting memory from that game? Yeah, so there's the, in in Cleveland there's these things called uh, midges, and like twice a year they just you know we we lived on the lake when we were there, so you know, twice a year, there, there would be midges that would just be like all over your house. You open up the door and they're just covering your face. So it was crazy. But like, I remember that game, they were, they were out and it's one of those things that nobody knew necessarily at the time. But if you try to put on, you know, insect repellent, it just even makes it worse. It's like food or like a beer for the, the midges or something like that. So you can see like the Yankees, the Yankees were doing it. Um, and I think it just made it worse on their players, but like probably the lasting image I have is like Fausto Carmona just like dialed in, throwing his 98 mile an hour uh, two seamers, and just like you, see, you know, I just have that that memory of him taking signs and just bugs everywhere, and him just not even like not even flinching, just locked in. I loved it. Were you guys like giggling in the dugout, like <laughs> they're using bug spray? They don't know. <laughs> no, it was weird. Like, I mean, I, like my concern was, what if I get up there and like the pitcher's in his motion, he gets right here and a and a bug flies in my eye. So, you know, it was it wasn't easy. Like on either side, you know, pitching or hitting, they're, they're just all over, and for whatever reason, they're attracted to your face. So it was really annoying. But like ultimately, we won the game, and you know, that was kind of the narrative was just that it was the bug game. <laughs> that's crazy. That's, that's awesome. Um, so. Uh, from a from a playoff component, obviously Cleveland has not been able to pull off a dub. You know, you guys had some good chances there, and then you fast forward even to past your playing career. Were you still following Cleveland? Like, were you like at the edge of your seat for the sixteen World Series with Cleveland taking on the Cubbies? Like, can we get one for this city? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I think in two thousand fifteen, I started working with with Cleveland in like a special assistant role, like doing some video scouting and, you know, going out to spring training occasionally. So, um, you know, I, I followed the organization closely. I was at the game in 2016. It was phenomenal. I was able to take my, 
uh, my 11 year old son to that game. It was like such a fun time. And remember Rajay Davis in that three run homer off Chapman to tie the game. And just like, you, you couldn't watch that and not jump up and down and scream. It, it was, it was insane. So it was a great game with a, you know, it didn't end the way that we wanted, but that was such a great experience. How did that atmosphere compare to the atmosphere of when you were playing there? Because Jacobs Field, now Progressive Field, was sold out for I don't know how many hundreds of games. It was just yep. an atmosphere. I remember hearing people talk about driving out to Cleveland from where I live outside of Philly to go see a game because it was like everybody was going to them. Yep. It was uh, it was the hottest ticket in town. You know, at the time, the Cavs weren't very good, and I believe the Browns were in Baltimore. And then you got this all-star lineup um, that just goes out there and it seemed like put up 10 runs a night and hit home runs and doubles. And they were just fun to watch, and they were winning. And, um, yeah, they had a crazy sellout streak. I want to say it was 455 um, games in a row. So, um, yeah, when you get sellouts there, like, you know, even, even now, like fireworks night, weekend games, they get sellouts. And that place is rocking. It's great. And I remember um, that playoff, you know, that year being in the playoffs, like that was the most fun I've ever had playing. And you could, you could feel the stadium shake at times, which, which is really cool. Like it's a phenomenal atmosphere. Do you feel like LeBron stole your thunder at any time in Cleveland? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, deservedly so like he was, you know, he's one of the best players of all time, but you know, that eventually became the hottest ticket in town, even though um, I would say Cleveland probably, first and foremost is a Brownstown and then probably the Indians. But when LeBron was in town, like that was the, that was the hottest ticket. You'd have celebrities flying in all the time. So just to be in the arena and, you know, you look over and Jay-Z and Beyonce are there, or, you know, whoever, like it was, it was a hot ticket. <laughs> did you come across him? Did, did, I mean, I know he hit probably some games, not much, but did you come across him at any point? Yeah, I was able to, uh, I was able to meet him um one time and uh it was cool like i mean he's he's an incredible presence and um you know just one of the best basketball players of all time so it was just cool to have him there playing you know all of his home games there for a number of years yeah and he made you look small <laughs> right he, <laughs> he had some height on you he could jump a little higher too a little bit but. Yeah, but you can hit the ball farther, and that's way cooler. Yeah, Wait, and also, actually, you you can hit a ball farther, and I don't know if LeBron ever shattered a backboard, and is it true that you did that? I shattered a backboard. Wow. Um, at a high school practice. Um, so kind of like randomly, like one of the things that I was obsessed with was I wanted to be able to dunk a basketball from the time I was probably like a second grader. So – you know, back at this time, you know, there wasn't YouTube to just, you know, hey, how do I jump higher? Like you would have to go buy a Sports Illustrated and then in the back of the Sports Illustrated, you'd see these like advertisements for like Skybound or these uh, like platform shoes. So I got like all of that stuff. Um, I had like more of these like jumping program pamphlets, but I was like obsessed with it. And then, uh, you know, when I got to high school, I was able to do it and we go to basketball camp and I would do some dunk contests. And uh, probably one of the coolest things was uh, one time in our, in, uh, let's see, my freshman year of college, uh, we were we were in the gym because uh, we got rained out. So we were in the gym. And when we were in the gym, like they 
absolutely ran the crap out of us. So I was able to, like, the coach made a bet with me. He's like, if you can do a two-handed 360, uh, we won't have running today. Um, but if you don't do it, you have double. So at that point, we probably would have been dead. But um, he gave me, like, one warm-up. I wasn't even close. And then I got, like, a two-handed 360 down. So we got out of running for the day. And it was a highlight of my, my dunking career. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Did you have the jump soles? I had the jump soles. Oh, I had the jump soles too. And we moved yeah. to our last, we just moved to our last house here. 94 different moves that we've made since I was in college. And I found my jump soles and they were rotted out like the straps. Do you have the black ones or the white ones? So I have the white ones and I don't know how like every person that did, that wore these didn't blow out their ankles. You know, like I think they eventually came out with like the whole shoe, but just the fact that you would strap these on your shoes and sometimes you'd be running and if you didn't have them on right, they would like twist off and you're like, how did I not just blow out an ACL right here? But I put them back on and get after it. There were definitely some lawsuits <laughs> and they had not to make back, some tweaks. Not back then. You were getting six to 10 <laughs> no. inches on your vertical guaranteed on the jump yeah, It's all yeah. that matters. I just wanted yeah, to admire. You are not yeah. suing for that crap. Um, so did, when you did shatter the backboard, did you like scream out like feeling as if you're Shaq? Absolutely. Like, I want to say at that time, Shaq was the man and he was breaking backboards. So to do that, like, I wasn't upset at all. It was like, you know, kind of like a little legend in small town North Dakota. Like, oh, this dude shattered a backboard. You know, so I was, I was riding the highs of that. How much different would your career have been if you had grown up like, like Trip and Knox and yeah. I forget. Yeah, Blake. Like, if you were in Florida playing all these games, like, do you feel like – because you had wear and tear throughout your big league career that ultimately, you know, diminished some of your output. Do you feel like if you would have been playing in Florida, playing 100 games as a kid, you would have gotten burned out, or do you think you would have been that much better? It's a great question. It's something that we uh, that we deal with all the time down here, like how much is too much. Um you know, at the time, like all I did, I played like 20 games a year in North Dakota was it. We played 20 games in the summer and the rest of the year, the year was snowing. Um, but I do feel like there was value in, you know, I did like track and field. I did basketball. Um, so you get to play like other sports year round and train. And then you got like your two months of baseball um, down here in Florida. You can literally play all year and never stop. And there kind of gets to be this thing of like more reps, more reps. I don't want to fall behind, but um, we try to give our kids you know, four or five months off a year, you know, they play fall and they play spring, but you know, at some point it gets to be like fall ball, spring ball, and then you play in the summer. So it's a ton of baseball, like even more so than like a, like a, like a pro season, you're playing, you know, 10, 11 months out of the year. So um, I do think that's, that gets to be kind of extreme. It's good for kids to play other sports and to develop other skills. Yeah. It's a tough balance where yeah. it's like, you don't want to tell, the kid like hey uh i know it's nice out and you can play some games but i don't want you to it's probably a tough sell yeah. to a kid that doesn't understand that right yeah but like like you know i don't want a nine-year-old necessarily training like nine-year-old just go play like flag football or basketball and like use the sport to like get you more athletic but in, in baseball there's not a ton of you're not going to develop a ton of athleticism in baseball. So that's why I think playing other sports is so important, you know, and, and you're not actually like having a trainer running sprints and with, you know, which 
if that's what you choose to do, it's not, it's not the worst thing in the world. Like you get better from that. But like at this age, like I want kids, you know, having fun rather than like going to a trainer and training and um, developing their skills that way. Just be like, go shatter some backboards. <laughs> <laughs> go shatter backboards. Yeah. Jump souls. Hey, Pronk, awesome catching up with you. Really appreciate the time and quick on our end for anyone watching Legends Territory on YouTube. You can also listen to this on Apple and Spotify. And thanks to the Players Alumni Association for setting this up. For more info on your favorite former players, hit up baseballalumni.com. But again, Travis, really good catching up with you, man, and reminiscing for a bit. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I love the show. You guys do a, a fantastic job, and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Really appreciate it, man. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.